Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. The goal of our pods is to give our followers a taste of how great the game of hockey is here in Minnesota. Speaking of great, if you haven't already, do yourself a favor and check out the Minnesotan. You can visit their flagship store in historic downtown Wiper Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we're very lucky to have the head coach at Colorado College, Mike Havlin, with us to discuss his uh, career in hockey, both playing uh, in New Jersey and on the East Coast, as well as coaching uh, both in the East Coast Hockey League, the AHL, NHL, and now is his duties at Colorado College. Should be a great show. I hope you enjoy it. Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. Are you out in beautiful Colorado Springs right now? I am. I am. Uh, you know, still on a little bit of a lockdown, so, uh, but like everybody else in the world, but uh, it is beautiful. It's in the high 80s today and uh, sunny, so as usual in Colorado. That was what I was going to say. I'm, I'm trying to set this up as kind of a recruiting pitch to Minnesota hockey players for you. So first things first, you have a brand new arena coming up soon. You have beautiful weather and a beautiful school and all the virtue. Explain the virtues of Colorado College. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, you get the best of both worlds. You get a high academic school and, um, you know, and then you get to play in the best conference. Uh, you know, I, I believe in college hockey mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, that's my beliefs. And, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, we do the things a little different here. We got the block system, which is most traditional colleges in the, in the U.S. Uh, you know, they do two semesters, which we do, but there's four classes in a semester and then four classes in the second semester. We do a block plan, they call it. Uh, where we could take one class at a time for three and a half weeks and then you're done with that class and then you're doing you know four four classes in the first uh, semester and then four in the second semester so eight classes we just have eight different blocks and so a little unique and I really feel like it sets up an athlete you know to succeed because you're dealing with one class and one test and you know, maybe a one paper in that three weeks or two papers and, and that professor's only taking, uh, teaching that class. So, it's, you know, um, you know, so it's, a, it's, it really helps our guys, you know, manage their time. And it's kind of the school runs from nine to 12 and then we practice, we, you know, practice after that in the afternoons. And, uh, and certainly, like you said, Tony, we got a brand new rink coming right on campus for the first time ever. We'll play games on campus. So state of the art facility, uh, you know, with our locker rooms, with theater rooms and, you know, hot and cold tubs and the weight room right in there, lounges and everything set up uh, to be compete at the, the division one level, but also in the NCHC. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, unbelievable campus. I've been there two or three times and in 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 just Colorado Springs, the mountains, the, the sun, everything. It's like it's be a pretty easy place to convince a kid to come play hockey. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's amazing. It's, you know, there's days in February, weeks in February where it's in the high seventies and, you know, I mean, uh, you know, even at the rink, we're building a, you know, kind of a deck off of the, the, 
the you know the lobby area up top uh, you know in the concourse where they're going to have outside tables because of the weather that we get here i mean and there's days in february and january that are in the 60s and 70s people play golf you know and uh you know, people think Colorado, yeah, we get snow, but it's usually gone because of the sun within two or three days. So it's, uh, it, you know, I tell you, I'm an East Coast guy. I lived in Chicago and all different places in the U.S. And uh, it's one of the best places to live. Uh, well, we'll get to how you got to Colorado a little bit later in the interview. Let's let's go back to New Jersey where you grew up. Uh, you grew, actually lived grew up in Manhattan until you were 10 years old. What's it like growing up as a hockey playing? By all accounts, your dad was a hockey junkie and handed that down. Your mom, too, to some degree. Uh, what was it like playing hockey in growing up in Manhattan? Well, I mean, it wasn't a lot of ice, you know, back in the 70s, and, and uh, it was very limited. I remember going to Jersey you know, uh, driving out to Jersey, the Jersey, uh, Jersey city, which is right on the other side of the Hudson. And, uh, you know, and, and, and doing like, you know, twice a week and it was 6am to 7am one hour, you know, and on the weekends and trying to learn the skate type of thing. And, and, uh, you know, and then played roller hockey. And back then we didn't have the inline skates. We had the four quad wheels, <laughs> roller skates, and, uh, roller skates. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we made everything and it's funny. We, you know, I played in the roller hockey league. My, you know, when we moved to Jersey, my dad started a roller hockey league in the state of New Jersey. And uh, to this day, I mean, now there's, I, I think there's more than three, 400 kids playing in it and they still play. And, uh, you know, we took electrical tape that you buy in the hardware store. And if you take electrical tape and you push it around on a, on a, on a surface for long enough, it, it comes together and it rounds itself and it becomes a puck. And that was our puck for years and um it's amazing how you know yeah it was different you couldn't really push off and it's different skating that way but the the stick handling and the game obviously was the same with 10 people so it was played both and it was uh it was interesting times back then but but certainly really enjoyable and i loved the game my family loved it we were junkies and uh and certainly um you know obviously we all my brother still owns rinks in jersey and my other brother's in you know, I have two brothers. They're both in hockey in Jersey still, and and I'm still in hockey. So it's uh, oh, it's very cool. interesting. That's pretty cool. So who are the like here growing up in Minnesota? It's so easy, even with our state high school hockey tournament. Even in the '60s, '70s, '80s, we had heroes, whether they were college players, Minnesota North Star players, or even just local high school stars. Who are your heroes, uh, hockey heroes, when you were growing up? Well, obviously, I mean, I always looked up to Joey Mullen. I mean, uh, you know, he's a I was waiting guy, for it. But, I was but, waiting but he, for it. You know, right? he went to Boston College and then obviously had an amazing career. And, you know, and I got to meet Joey. And um, he was you know, a roller was, hockey legend, wasn't he? He was. And, and I could tell you there was a lot of good players, you know, and I even they're older than me. But uh, I never played with them. But because uh, we moved to Jersey. But uh you know, I was pretty fortunate enough. I mean, when I was in youth hockey, Mike Richter was a big kid out of Philly and we played against each other and, and uh, there were some good players and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, hockey, again, it wasn't a lot of rinks. There wasn't a lot of people playing. So, I mean, but we, you know, I grew up a Ranger fan and, uh, you know, we'd watch every Ranger game and as much as we could back then, there wasn't a lot of cable and, you know, then the, the bad, big bad Islanders came in and kind of took the thunder for years. Yeah, there. didn't they? You know, so it was. Did you did you we despise just, the Islanders? Because yeah, uh, you know, or respect crazy. them. I respected them. It was it was amazing. I used to go to a lot of Ranger games and 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 uh, 
And my dad talks about it now. Like I would sit and watch the game and never say a word in the stands. And, and, you know, and, and he'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, cause I played right wing. And he'd I'd say, I'm studying, you know, Bobby Nystrom and I'm studying Mike Bossy and, 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 uh, you know, guys on the range. John Tonelli. Yeah. John Tonelli. And I'd be like, I just want to know what they're doing. And, and that was always how I was as a young guy. I always was studying the game and felt like, you know, uh, how do I get better? You know, and, and, uh, you know, and obviously you're watching those guys back then it was a different game and, uh, but certainly had tons of talent and, but you respected them. I res- I love Bobby Clark when I was a kid, I thought he played hard. He was nasty, but he played hard and the flyers were, you know, in that area, you got to remember there was no devils then. And then, yeah. uh, you know, so it was the flyers, the Rangers and the Islanders. And then, you know, so you had a lot of respect, the broad, broad street bullies back then, but Bobby Clark was always one of my favorite guys too. I couldn't say it too loudly in my house because my, my parents weren't very happy. Well, it's funny. Uh, I, I can't. A podcast doesn't go by where I talk to a guy like you and I were the same age in that era, and you can't you can't get to Bobby Clark enough. You know, it's like you it always gets comes back to Bobby Clark because I think he had like the, the certain tools. Obviously, the, the hockey smarts and playmaking tools, but he could also punch you in the nose too, right? Yeah, I just thought he played hard and he played right. That's you know, Brian Trottier for me was another guy. I just loved the way they played. They were so smart and they. You know, and again, it was a different era. It was a different game, and but they could they could play any way you wanted. And I, I think that was always the thing I loved about those Islander teams. And you know, back in the eighties, there when they we were winning, they had they could skate, they could score, they could if they had to get tough, they could get tough. They they it just was a different, like I said, different day and age back then. But you know, when you really if you dissected the teams, and you know, they could play any way. And I think teams that win can play any way. And, 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 you know, and I think, uh, you know, it goes to any sport. I think if, right. if, if the game gets tough, can teams get tough? Can, if the game is a speed game, can they speed, can they skate and, or, you know, our teams fast on the football field. So I just look at it that way. And, and, uh, you know, I was always admired by the, you know, the teams that won and how did they win and what it took to win. When you went to uh, watch your brothers play, were you the guy that ran around the rink or were you the guy that sat there and put your nose against the glass? Or actually, like I did, I felt like I put my nose through the chicken wire sometimes to watch. Yeah, yeah, the chicken wire. You're funny, Tony. The chain link fence. People don't believe me. I'm like, yeah, there's a chain link fence and I put my nose right through it, you know? Yeah, we... uh, I definitely did that. I would watch, you know, I was the middle guy and my older brother was three years older than me. And, and, uh, yeah, I would watch and my dad was coaching junior hockey in the state of New Jersey at that time. And, you know, and, um, you know, I was a 13 year old kid at times and 12 years old and I would practice with the junior team. And, you know, again, a different day and age back then. And, you know, guys, you know, I would, uh, you know, guys would go after you on the ice, not after you, but like, you know, I was pretty skilled guy, so I would try to score. And, and, you know, I think it was good for me to, to learn, you know, uh, both sides of the game and, and, uh, back then, but I would, I would always have a stick in my hand and, you know, always was shooting pucks and watching the game and, you know, in between periods, you know, trying to do something in the rink and, you know, just love being at the rink every day and as much as we could. Yeah. All right. So let's move forward. I want to. I think you have a different path than a lot of the kids here in Minnesota. So I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about it. You head off to uh, play juniors. It's not uh, major juniors. It would be like junior B back then, tier two. Yep. Did they call it? 
Yeah, yeah, it was here. I went to junior A with Aurora Tigers first, and then got cut and <laughs> went to junior B in the in the, uh, in the central division in Oakville, Ontario. So it was junior B back then. Now Oakville's pretty much just a suburb of Toronto, correct? Yeah, beautiful. It's probably 15, 20 minutes west of Toronto, and absolutely gorgeous between Burlington and Mimic. Uh, and um, Etobicoke, and you or Mississauga. Li- sorry, you were you were a billet billeted fi- by the same family all your years there, or did you move yeah. from house to house, or uh, how that? No, work? I got I got lucky, Tony. I, uh, I I I'll never forget. I came in. Murray Walker was the owner of the team at the time, and and I stayed at his house for a couple of days, and he lived in a pretty nice house. Oakville's a pretty wealthy little town, and uh, uh, and he kept saying, oh, we're going to move you, uh, you know, to a billet house, you know, just get settled here, and, you know, one week led to two weeks, and, you know, um, his son Jeff at the time was going to University of Toronto, and, uh, um, you know, and the wife, his wife Verna was a school teacher in Mimico, and, uh, and they just, I just fit in, and they allowed me to stay, and I ended up staying three years, and got my high school diploma and went to grade 13 and you know um so it was uh it was was some of the best time of my life it didn't obviously start out great I wasn't playing a lot and you know I was the only American on the team and but uh certainly you know uh I think being brought up the way I was brought up you know you stick things out and uh and I did and and uh it ended up paying off and was some of the best three years of my life and would never trade it for anything. So after your junior career, you have some choices to what uh, let's call them lower level division one yeah. or higher level uh, division two. walk through your recruiting process and how you ended up at Elmira college in Western New York. Yeah, I just, you know, there was a lot of, you know, I went to some division one, you know, uh, you know, visits and, and uh, back then was a lot different. You used to get a, a packet you know, at the games. And, and if you got a bunch of packets packages from the coaches, they'd give you a whole thing on their school, you know, cause there was no phones back then or anything and, right. and internet. And so they gave you a big packet. And I remember guys coming back in the room and they got three packages from like, you know, colleges in the U S and, and uh, you know, everybody would, you know, so I, I did some visits and, you know, didn't really have, I was an average student and, you know, really, you know, I wish I could go back it was one thing I would change is I wish I would have put a little bit more work into that classroom and, and uh, maybe open some more doors at the division one level. But, you know, it, it you know, I, I have no regrets. And I, I, I ended up, uh, you know, talking to Lou Raycroft at Cornell and he was a coach there and he's like, you know, we really like you, but, you know, maybe you should go to Elmira and then transfer in. Elmira was division two at the time. And just down the road, I, you know, too, isn't it, to Cornell? Yeah, it's right down the road. It's like a half hour. So I had another year of junior left, but I decided to go. And, and uh, Brian McCutcheon was the coach at the time. And uh, he had played at Cornell. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I went into Elmira. They were really one of the – a good school in Division Two and at the time. And uh, they had just come off losing to Bemidji State, I think, the year before. Joel Otto was I was, was going to say Joel Otto. Yeah, when I think of yeah. Division Two 80s, the first person I think of is Joel, Joel Otto. Otto. And what a man-child he was for yeah. Division Two. You know, so it ended up, Tony, to be honest with you, it, 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 I never left. It became a great fit. Um, you know, I had a chance to lost the national championship my sophomore year to River Falls. And, and uh, but it was a good fit for me. And I think that's a big thing, you know, looking at back uh, when you get a chance to play and if it's a good fit for you academically. And, and it was a small little college, liberal arts college, and the hockey was really good. And uh, 
and I got a chance to play and uh, I really, really enjoyed my time there and have friends for the rest of my life, you know, teammates and people that I went to school with. Yeah, your senior year, you blew up. I mean, you had 50 points in 23 games and got drafted, uh, I think, by New Jersey, was it? Yeah. Yeah. The hometown team, you know. Yeah, it was, you know, they only give you the league. I had 72 points my senior year, and it's a a kind of a crazy They only have 23 games on here. I'm sure you played more than 23. Yeah, they did. We did. We played like 30, I think, four or something, but 33 or something. But uh, they only put the league. But anyway, it's it's, – I scored 39 goals that year. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember going to the all American dinner out in Boston and David Emma and, uh, I, it's Heinz. He played in Boston there. Uh, they played for Boston college and I get yeah. sitting at the same table as them. And, and, uh, I'll never forget you're sitting there, you're a division three guy and they're division one. And, you know, they were high draft choices. And at yeah. that point I wasn't drafted and, you know, you, you, you kind of read about them. There was a college magazine back in the day. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. And it used to come out and you read about these Once guys. Once a week, you right? Know. Yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I knew who they were. and uh, But I sat at the table and, and I remember David Emma saying to me, you know, I don't know who you are, but if you score 39 goals in one year, I don't care what league you play in, you must be okay, he goes. And, and it was just kind of, you know, funny. But I went on to get drafted in the supplemental round that summer by New Jersey. I left school early. I signed with the Boston Bruins right in my senior year, spent two weeks in Boston in the NHL and never played a game. Closest I came was I, I warmed up against Quebec and, uh, and uh, then Cam Neely decided, you know, he was okay to play. So Mike Milbury was the coach that, yeah, you're not going to play. So right. basically that was that. So then, uh, you know, got a little uh, signed with Hartford after that and then went back to college, played a little American League and went back to college and then drafted by New Jersey that summer. That's pretty cool. You played one, pretty much one full year of minor league hockey. What was your, yeah. what are your memories of, of just getting to put on a, and get paid to play hockey? Uh, it was outstanding. I think it was amazing to see, you know, the difference from the college level that all of a sudden it was a business and it was you know, the, the guys were men and guys had kids and guys were, you know, guys were fighting for their lives every day. And, and uh, you know, and I think, you know, you had guys, you know, with the, you know, coming down from American League. And if you're in the East Coast League and then they're in their tail end of their career or, you know, but there was a lot of us that started that, you know, I played, you know, in the East Coast League and Brad Tree Living was He's the GM in Calgary now. Him and I were roommates, and 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 uh, you know, so there was a lot of good players, and 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 uh, you know, just guys trying to make it. And I think it was you bond together. There's a lot of bus trips, you know, in the American League and the East Coast League, and uh, it was in, it was really enjoyable. I loved it. I got injured pretty badly in my shoulder, and and never really was the same. I got traded, and you know, and I had some schooling to finish. So that's why my career, you know, was kind of. You know, I gave, you know, not gave up, but I, I had to cut it short after the one year. So it's you have an interesting career path. Uh, most people think uh, all Division One coaches, it's just handed to them, and and handed to them is the farthest thing from. You know, if you if you look through your resume, nothing was really given to you. You went back and got your degree, and co- were a volunteer coach at Elmira yeah. again, correct? Yeah, I was. I went back. I had some deg- some of my degree to finish, and. You know, I promised my mom and dad I would get it. And, you know, I was the first one in the Haviland family to get a degree. So it was it was pretty important to me, you know, as you start to mature as a young man. And I think it was, uh, you know, I really wanted to get that for them and myself. But, 
went back and then I couldn't thank Glenn Tamaris enough. He was the head coach at that time. I played three years for him and, uh, you know, at Elmira and he gave me an opportunity to come back and be a volunteer coach and got my degree and, uh, you know, and certainly got that bug of being a coach. I always wanted, always felt like I had it in me, you know, cause I always was a student of the game and loved being, you know, talking to players in the room and, and, and getting their insight on their feelings. So it was, I think it was a natural fit to get into coaching. Yeah, it's an interesting path. I mean, your your path there, and and then you basically get a regular job. But yeah, although I call it a regular job, probably sales. I'm guessing if I know anything about you, you're probably selling something. Yeah, I was. I was. I worked for Sunshine Biscuits, which if people don't know is Cheez Its and Vienna yeah. Fingers and all that. Yeah, I worked in the East Coast, so back home and got a job in Jersey, and just really had the itch to coach. And my brother was a uh, at that point, he didn't own his rinks. He was he was a uh, director of hockey in, in the state of New Jersey, one of the rinks. And I just, you know, he got me involved and I ended up coaching a midget double A team and, uh, you know, and started to build that and sp- spent five years doing that. And, you know, it was funny, we, you know, Andy Murray and I talk about it. He was at Shattuck yeah. at the time and, and uh, we went to the national championship and it was his team from New Jersey and like it was Little Caesars, it was Team Illinois and Shattuck. And, you know, we, we had never played Shattuck and Andy Murray was the coach and we beat him the first night and he had like 17 Division One guys and we, we had we had no Division One guys. We had a bunch of Division Three guys committed and uh, and I had kids from all over. I had Long Island kids. I had New Jersey kids. I had Pennsylvania kids. They were traveling all over the play for this, you know, this team and at the time and, uh, you know, and, and we beat Sadik in the first in the preliminary in the NCAA and not the NCAA, but the national championship tournament. And we got the chance to play them again. And uh, you know, then they beat us in the final four. So, uh, that was Andy and I laugh about it. He's like, your goalie, I remember your goalie was outstanding and he was, the kid was outstanding in the game. We beat him three, two. So you probably learned a lot in those five years. And, and here's what we were joke before the show. You said, well, yeah, then I got involved with USA hockey. It's like, you knew deep, deep down sunshine biscuits wasn't your future, right? I mean, the hockey no. was what you wanted to do and this was the best Avenue for you to get there. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, Tony, I mean, listen again, I came, came from a non-traditional area, but I think when you love hockey and I, I see that in Minnesota, like I love going to Minnesota. I, I look at Minnesota as I, like, I look at the state of Minnesota and the way that people love hockey, like they do, they did in Toronto. And right. it was so much fun for me to be in Toronto, to read the paper every day. And it was all hockey and it was, you know, the Leafs and it was major junior and it was all of the, the NHL teams in the Canada. And, 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 you know, and I look at Minnesota and I go up there for the high school hockey and, you know, and I just think that's what it's like. And, but I was a guy that loved it. I loved it. And I, I you know, I just think, you know, that was always, it was always a passion. So I tried the job. I had to have a paycheck coming in, yeah. but I just think the passion lied with hockey and I loved it. And, you know, and I just, you know, I wanted to see where I could go with it. Well, it's interesting. I'm, I'm guessing I'm, you go back to Sunshine Biscuits. Like, I, I guess it would be weird. You go to your boss like, oh, I need uh, this time off. I'm going to go to St. Cloud, <laughs> Minnesota to coach yeah. in a hockey clinic. They're like, what? Most people go well, golfing, I, right? You were going to coach, it, right? I was. And you know what, Tony? You know this. I had to take my vacation time to go do it. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you That's know, my so- point. Yeah, you know, I was single guy back then and I got in with the district and, uh, you know, some great guys there in the district and, and 
you know, and, uh, and they're all still in hockey, big time guys. And I mean, Jimmy Hunt and then John Micheletto was at Notre Dame, was at UMass as a coach there. And he's back. And then John Riley's with the Flyers now, you know, Lee Mendels. I mean, there was just so many guys in that district and I got in with them. And then, you know, we went to St. Cloud, stayed in the dorms and, you know, back in the day and, and, uh, you know, doing, and they used to play back then, you know, now in Buffalo, they just do by years. They used to do it by districts. So you yeah. would play the like Minnesota district who was loaded, yeah. you know, and, and then we would have our guys and we'd have a couple like division one commits, but you know, Minnesota had all 20 guys at U16 or you, you know, yeah. uh, you know, so it was, I really enjoyed that and it was fun and, and met so many coaches from all different parts of the world and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, in the U S anyway, and then became friends with them and, you know, it's just, it was always the next step. It was nice to get involved with all that stuff. And, and you're always trying to get, you know, better and better in your career. That was probably like gas on the fire, wasn't it? Like, okay, now I know exactly what I want to do for a living and it's not working here. Right. It's like, yeah, it, it was Tony. And I think, I think you see other guys coaching and, and, you know, and I think you, you start to, you know, you start going, wow, there's this guy and this guy coaching college hockey. And, and I think, you know, I, I don't know if I had my sights set you know, on the NHL or pro, I think when you're coaching youth hockey, I was like, you know, Hey, I'm just trying to get these kids some scholarships or help them get to the college level. And, and, you know, I always had a ton of respect for all the college coaches and, and, uh, you know, so now all of a sudden I was around them, some of them assistants in, yeah. at the, the festival. So it was, it was great to pick their brains and, and, and to, to see how they operated their programs. And, you know, and I always looked at things as a learning experience. I always do. I still do. I think you can learn so much, you, you know, by just listening to people that are in your field or coaches that coach high school football or whatever it may be. I think, you know, if you can listen and, and maybe make some changes every year to become a better coach or a better team, I think you're, you're always going to be, you know, uh, doing yourself and your team the right, the right way. Oh, we're going to get, I wanted to get some, something, something great there. Listening, listening is one of the most unheralded tools. Don't you think? I do. I think, I think even today, like today's day and age, I think you got to listen, you know, I don't listen, your players don't run your team, but you got to listen to them. You got to, I mean, I think they're, they're smart. Not that the players weren't, you know, I felt like we were smart back then, but it it wasn't like that back then. I mean, you know, the coach coached, the players played and that was it. And, uh, but I think today you got to listen, you got to listen to your staff. You got to listen to your, uh, you know, to some of your players. And I, I think it's always something that I've done, you know, throughout my career. And I think maybe that started in, you know, in the East coast hockey league, you know, cause I started as an assistant. So I got to know, you know, like, you know, Cal McLean was one of our first captains and when I was in Trenton, he's now the head coach in Stockton in the American league. And, you know, I, you know, but, but Cal was a smart hockey guy and you can tell, and he was a really good player. So, you know, I enjoyed having coffee with guys in the morning and talking to them. And I think that was the pro level, really, you know, picking their brains and, and you know, understanding, you know, how how to get the best out of players. And, and, and you have to build those relationships and, and that trust, you know, with each other. You have a very – there's a lot of cool parts to your story. We haven't even gotten to the Stanley Cup yet. But your <laughs> first year in the ECHL, um, it's still kind of an interesting story, like, you got hired as a consultant and then they dropped two coaches on you and, and talk about name dropping, talk about, the, <laughs> it's a pretty cool story, but talk about the consulting role first when Trenton was building their team in New Jersey. 
Yeah, you know, I was fortunate enough. One of the kids, again, you know, the, the game of hockey and the, the life, I think, is like this. I think one of the kids I coached in youth hockey, his dad was knew the owners of this brand new team that was coming into Trenton, New Jersey, and they were going to build a rink. And, and uh, you know, I, I went down. He got me an interview. I went down with the owners, and, and uh, Brian McKinnon was the, was the GM at the time, and he went on to be the president of the East Coast Hockey League for years and years and years. And But they hired me as a consultant to help out in all aspects of the, of, of, of hockey. And I felt this was my way into pro hockey. I played a year in the coast and, you know, had gotten away from it for a lot of years and, you know, and uh, you know, I felt this is the way in and I would do anything I could do to get my foot in that door. And, and, and so I did, I was a consultant for that first year. I coached that, that midget team. And, and that night I would, you know, we'd, we'd play tournaments in Boston or upstate New York or wherever it may be, Michigan. And I would go to watch college kids and then submit reports to my, you know, Brian and about, hey, I think this guy could be, you know, this guy's going to be an NHL guy. This guy could be an American League guy. We should keep an eye on these guys. And, you know, and I helped build that team that first year. And uh, so that was an interesting year for me, but I felt like it was my way in to pro hockey. It's funny. It's 1998, 1999. And you said the word database. That's not, it wasn't even a, that wasn't even a word in 1990, except the extreme nerds. Right. But you right. did, you really built a database, which was kind of uh you kind of ahead of your time there of getting all these different players lined up and it ended up getting you a coaching position a year, the year later. Right. It did. And, you know, nothing was guaranteed. I remember sitting with Brian and he's like, Mike, you're not going to be the head coach. You're, you know, I, I think you you have to understand that. I'm looking for somebody with more experience. And I understood that. I just said, I want an opportunity. I think uh, I think I could be a good coach. And I know I'm coaching youth hockey at the time, but like uh, and he's and, and we were one of the only teams in that league at that point that was really going to have an assistant coach. And I don't want to tell you my salary because it was out, it was so low, but, but, but they, it was an opportunity that I looked at and, um, you know, and I, and, um, and I'll never forget. I mean, they, they hired Bruce Cassidy, you know, Butch and, and Butch is now the Boston Bruins head yeah, coach. That's, that's your first name drop. And there's a few more. Yeah. Coming. I don't want to be more. a name dropper, <laughs> yeah, but was, you know, uh, I, when you it said was, it to me on the show before the show, I was like, he's kidding. And I looked it up. I'm like, no, he's not kidding. It's right there. No, that's pretty no, cool. And it was interesting. You know, Butch was amazing, like talented coach, uh, knew the game, could see the game, could, he, he, you know, this guy was, this guy was a first rounder, I think to the Hawks and, 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 uh, he had a hundred and something points as a defenseman in the OHL. Yeah. And, you know, so Butch's offensive instincts and you look at, I mean, I studied the Bruins power play now and I still try to contact him as much as I can to get some from him. But, but you, you, you could see his instincts back then of, 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 of how he, you know, was, was this young up and coming coach and, and, uh, you know, and it was interesting. I mean, Shell Samuelson came down from the Flyers because we were affiliated with them, and he was getting into the coaching end of things. And uh, Shell and I ended up sharing an office together, and it was amazing for me. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I obviously watched Shell Samuelson play hockey, and right. you know, had all this, you know, and we became friends, and it, it was, it was just another great learning experience for me as a young coach, and and. Uh, you know, to be in that league and to learn from those guys. And Butch went on to be next year, got the Grand Rapids job. And, and you know, and then uh, Troy Ward comes in, who had been in the NHL and, you know, had been at the, the college level, NHL level, and got got a chance to work with him the following year. Shell wasn't around. He went up to the, the fandoms, I think, in the American League. And, uh, 
but you know, to this day, I still talk to all of them and, you know, it was great learning experience, obviously. And, and Troy was so different. I mean, I don't mean to keep going here, Tony, but yeah. like to learn from Butch, you know, and then get Troy Ward who, you know, gave me so much of the video side of things, Kevin Constantine and himself in Pittsburgh and, and Troy opened up his, basically his whole coaching philosophy and how to run a team and how to prepare a team and how to watch video. And it was amazing for me. And, and, uh, you know, and it was a lot of work we lost in the finals that year to South Carolina, you know, Jared Bednar was on the team. who's the coach at Avalanche now. And Betsy was the captain of South Carolina, but you look at, you, you know, that league, that's why I say that league is so many good players played in it. And so many guys that are, you know, maybe got their start in, in coaching or, or in, in, uh, in playing there, you know, really have done something, you know, at the highest levels. So you finally get a head coaching job yep. in Atlantic City. I'm like, I don't know what, you must have a magnet to New Jersey and the East Coast <laughs> because you stayed in the East Coast for like eight years, which is almost impossible to do in professional hockey because there's so many other leagues and games and camps and things to do. But you you somehow managed to, to stay in New Jersey with the Atlantic City. Yeah, the Boardwalk Bullies. Boardwalk <laughs> Bullies, yeah. I looked yeah, up that. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's an interesting name. Uh, but yeah, you guys yeah. won a Kelly Cup. What was it like getting your own team? I bet when you won the Kelly Cup in 2003, you thought you had invented the game. <laughs> I don't know if I invented it, but I, you know, you certainly, it was amazing. I mean, you're right. I mean, I think I was just really lucky to stay, get a chance to do the first eight years in pro hockey in the state that I, you know, obviously had a home in and, you know, I was, now I was, you know, married, had kids and, and, you know, family around and, uh, and to go to Atlantic City and, you know, nobody thought it would work there with all the casinos. And, and uh, you know, we played right in Boardwalk Hall, which is where they had all the HBO fights. And, yeah. you know, we got the, you know, it was is a beautiful, beautiful venue. The locker room setup was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, the East Coast Hockey League is very similar to, um, you know, college hockey. You have to recruit. And I had a lot of Minnesota kids and, you know, and a lot of college kids are on my team and, you know, and I, I, uh, you know, was fortunate enough the second year, the first year we went to the conference finals, we lost, you know, we, you know, and you and I talked about this before the show is how you have to lose it a little bit, maybe to understand what it takes to win. And, you know, I lost, you know, as an assistant the year before with Troy Ward and, and the Trenton team. And then we lost the next year in the conference finals. And it was, you know, you start to figure out what are we doing wrong or what can we do differently? And then, you know, obviously the second year we win the whole thing and, you know, I don't care what level you're at. And, and when you win championships and, and uh, you know, it's something that, you know, the old cliche, you walk together for life. It's the truth. And, yeah. and it's, you know, it's uh, to this day, I still talk to those guys and, and uh, you know, and it's, it's amazing, you know, uh, guys come out, you know, I've, I, again, I went on the coach at all different levels and everywhere I've gone, you know, guys call me now and Hey, Javi, you're coming into town, you know, can we go have dinner? And, you know, and I love seeing them and it's amazing. They have kids now and, you know, it just shows me that I'm getting older, but yeah. you know, it's, uh, it was outstanding and it was an amazing, amazing time to win that first one in Atlantic city. And then two years later, you're back with Trenton, which is an, a story in of itself. Uh, and you win another Kelly cup with those guys. What was the, what was that squad like? Yeah, that was a good squad. We had a, you know, uh, you know, I think I went in there and I knew some veteran guys that were still there and, 
you know, and I think we, you know, that team was, was full with a lot of veterans and it's amazing. Leon Hayward, who's my assistant coach now. Is, I was, was going to say, team. I picked that, I picked up on that. Yeah. My research, yeah I saw that. There's yeah, Leon. Yeah. Rick Kowalski was our captain. He's an assistant in New Jersey now and the devils. And then, uh, you know, Jay Leach started the year with us. He's a head coach in Providence and, you know, in the American League. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, we had an older team and then, you know, guys, a lot of guys went up to the American League and, you know, we, we hit a really rough patch that team and, and uh, I ended up making a couple of trades late in the year. And, uh, you know, we got, we were affiliated with the Flyers and, you know, the Flyers, uh, BJ Abel was a Minnesota kid, I think. And, yep. and uh, yeah, you know, Aves was on the team and, we just we just got it going, and um, you know it was a it was a lockout year, so there was a lot of good players in the league that maybe shouldn't have been in the league, and and uh, it was a it was an amazing run when we finally got it together, and uh, you know and, and certainly to win two and three years was was certainly special to do it in two different teams in that in that uh, league it was uh, you know again you'll never forget it, and I, like I said to you I don't care where you're at they. There, it's amazing. It's amazing feat. You play your ninety or hundred games, and uh, and it was uh, something I'll never forget. Uh, before we jump to your uh, jumping into the AHL, what was Leon like as a youngster compared to what he's evolved to today as an assistant for you? Pretty pretty similar guy. I mean, I think you know he was driven, uh, hardworking, uh, had some really good knowledge of the game, and um leon's a worker he's a worker he's he's uh he's a guy who uh you know sees the game the the way i see it and and you know we hit it off that way and uh you know and uh but leon leon was uh leon understood where he fit on teams and and uh you know it's a guy who was a basically and he'll tell you was a fourth line guy at northeastern maybe a third line guy and you know he played over 200 games i think in the american league or close to it and and uh you know that that's a testament to him that he understood and figured out um, what worked for him and what works as a player and where he fit in on teams. And uh, you know, may not have been the most talented guy, but he was was a super hard work and he you know more talented than I think he'll give himself credit for. He was a pretty pretty good player, but he could fight. He could play the game in different different ways and absolutely just you know he was a big part. He was our MVP in the playoffs that year. We won and. Uh, you know, we stayed friends and, you know, I had an opportunity to hire him and, and who has been a great hire. Well, I wanted to get to that because it's like you've been to war with Leon, right? So, like, he knows what you it, it's it, it expected out of you. You know what's expected out of him. So when you hired him, it was probably a pretty easy decision. It was, you know, and I think I think it's you, you make a good point there. I think. You know, Leon can, you know, uh, you know, maybe when I leave a room or when he's talking to guys go, hey, this is what have means and this is what he meant when I played for him. And this is what the message is. And, and you know, and I think I think as a coach, when you're a head guy, you always want that message, you know, from your assistants. And RJ does a great job with it, too, here. You know, I just think Leon's been through those wars with you and, 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 and you have that bond and he understands and. And he can tell guys now, hey, I've seen it from both sides as a player and a coach. And, and um, you know, it just works for us. So we talked uh, before the show. Well, one of the happier days was uh, getting flown to Chicago, getting interviewed, or maybe it was over the phone and getting hired as the AHL affiliate for the the, the Blackhawks. It's kind of like you made it to the big leagues uh, yeah. that day. And it's an interesting take. I want to hear about that. 
Yeah, it was, you know, I flew to, I flew to Chicago and met them at the United Center. It was Dale Town and Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac was in the room. He was a GM at the time at the, of the American League. And, uh, you know, they interviewed me, you know, in, in a boardroom in, in the United Center and, and, and offered me the job right on the spot. And, uh, you know, I don't even think we talked numbers. And I was like, yeah, I'll take the job. And, you know, you just as a, as a, as a coach, similar to as a player, you're taking you know, you're, you're making the next step in your career. And, and, and certainly, you know, the American hockey league, and you look at the coaches and the players and you're one step closer. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, everybody strives to, to continue to, to move up in their career. And I was no different. And, uh, you know, I think obviously winning the two championships opened a lot of doors and, and, uh, you know, I'd put a lot of helped a lot of guys get to the American league and some guys even made the NHL and, I think you got to develop, but you can develop and win at the same time. And, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get into the black with the Blackhawks and certainly, you know, for me, we'll have a piece of my heart for the rest of my life. So is, is did Norfolk move to Rockford in 2007? Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. So we went two years in Norfolk and then they moved the franchise to Rockford. Okay. So you were three years for the Blackhawks as their AHL head coach and then became uh, a head coach. Walk through the interview process to becoming the head coach uh, at uh, Chicago because a lot of things happened in, in a short amount of time in, in 2008. You mean an assistant coach in yes. Chicago? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I just think, you know, again, I, uh, you know, I had a good, pretty good run in the American League, but I had some good players too. I mean, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough in Norfolk and, and Rockford. You know, I came in and uh, the Hawks drafted some great players. I had Bolin and Jalmerson and Bufflin and and Bickle and, and you know, Burrish. And, and I go down the list and Colin Frazier and Versteeg and, Corey Crawford all came in. We all came in kind of the same time. Maybe they came in a year after my first year, but, um, you know, I had some really good young talented guys and, and, uh, you know, and we were winning a decent amount of games in the American league and it was going well down there. And I knew the next wave was coming for the Blackhawks and, 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 uh, I got a chance, uh, to an opening came in, in the NHL and Dennis Savard was the coach at the time and Dale Talon and Dennis asked me if I would come up and, had a great relationship with Savvy and, and uh, felt like I could help. And, you know, and uh, it was outstanding. And, you know, I jumped at the chance to be on the bench with Dennis Savard and John Torchetti was the other assistant. And Steph Waite was the goalie coach. And, but I, again, I knew a lot of the players that were making their way up, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and obviously, you know, we draft Taves and Kane the year before that, you know, I get there and, and, uh, you know, next thing you know, you know, we made some good trades and the team starts to build with the young guys coming up and uh, was very fortunate enough to, 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 to get that job. Uh, four games in to that season, Savard <laughs> gets let go. Were you like a little bit on edge at that point? Like maybe the, you were going to get let go too? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, unless you know, that level's a tough level and, you know, it's a it's a very – uh, demanding business. It's a, it's a results business. Like everybody that's in hockey, we all are. And, and, uh, you know, but it was, it was an eye opener for sure. I think to, to see Dennis get let go, you know, four games in and, uh, you know, and obviously you start to go, oh, you know, wow, am I, is everybody going to let get let go? And, you know, and, um, you know, and, and we, I was fortunate enough, you know, maybe to being around the organization, you know, being four years, with them and, and building relationships with Dale and Stan and, and everybody. And, um, 
you know, and uh, Joel Quenville comes in and uh, takes over the reins that year. Uh, and we stayed, I stayed on and Torch stayed on that year. So it was, uh, it was an interesting, interesting thing, though, four games into the regular season. Yeah, and, and kind of the building process to one of the more legendary Stanley Cup champion teams started right there. That that when he came in, like the building blocks, you saw the building blocks of a Stanley Cup winner. Yeah, you know it was interesting that teams, those teams, those you know the first year, like I said to you, you know Tony, you know earlier in the conversation and before we even got on, you know that team that first year I was there, we went to the conference finals and we lost to Detroit. And, you know, and it was amazing to see, you know, uh, we were young, we were, you know, uh, we had a lot of, you know, we didn't really know what was ahead of us at times with some of the young guys and, and, and meaning that they were naive at certain things, but to see the older Lynch, you know, uh, you know, Datsuk and Zetterberg right. and Lindstrom and, 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 you know, Draper and Mulpey and, and those guys and, Go, they went on the win that year, but like, you know, for us to lose in the conference finals, I think, you know, it really fueled Johnny and T and, and, and Kaner and Dunks and Seabsy and, and, you know, I can go down the list, but, and I think Dale and Stan and those guys did a great job and we bring in Laddie and, you know, Andrew Ladd and, and, you know, John Madden and some guys that had won before. And it was amazing to see, you know, that, that year we started off in Europe and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we just kind of bonded and, that was an unbelievable team, but Q was the orchestrator and the guy who, you know, I learned an awful lot from and, you know, to see how he was behind a bench, best, best bench boss I've ever had. And, uh, been around to, you know, to make adjustments and, uh, on the fly or to change lines right in the mid game to see who was going and when not to go, who was, wasn't going. And, uh, you know, he was, it was, you know, when you're in the moment, you don't really realize it, but you step back now years later and it was, uh, Certainly a thing that everybody, I don't care where you are in the world, you dream about winning a Stanley Cup, which certainly was amazing and can't even, still can't believe it to this day. My name is on that thing. That, that part, we was going to get to that. We're going to get to the cup in just a bit. So everybody makes, you know, you talk about Kaner and, and Taves, but I think that the true testament to that team is the blue line. I mean, it was unbelievable. The defensemen that you guys had, you could throw out there at any given time. You had Bufflin and Keith and uh, it, 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 the list goes on and on of, of defensemen on that team. Yeah, it's, you know, and I agree with you, Tony. I think, I think, listen. I mean, you know, I was fortunate enough. I ran the D back then, and uh, oh, so that's why it was so good because of you. Yeah, right? I don't know about that, but <laughs> you know, it's you know, I used to say, I say to people, it's nice and easy when you have a two human breakouts with you know players back there with Brian Campbell and and because you could skate and dunks. Uh, they were human breakout guys. Like they, yeah. they, they, they were so good at you know transporting that puck up the ice and getting it up to guys and and uh you know i mean you know we had our pairs were dunks and seeds and then jalmerson and campbell and then we had brent sopel who was this unbelievable veteran guy who had yeah. been around and and uh and then we had nick boyton and we had jordan henry and then we actually moved buff up to forward, forward. here yeah, yes so it, you know but we had that luxury of getting him back there too but it was just a pleasure to coach them they were such competitive guys they all kind of fell into their roles and knew what their roles were. And, you know, you know, like I said, soaps was a guy who was a unbelievable PK block shot, but like scored big goals for us, but like smart, smart player. And, 
it was just a pleasure to coach them. And, you know, we, again, like I said to you, we could play the ski still uh, the speed game or even on the back end. And, uh, you know, or, you know, we, we could get, you know, Seavesy, you know, was pretty tough guy. And yes. Seavesy could, you know, played all different roles and was, but it was, uh, I think when you have defense that can skate and make plays and you don't play in your end, it, you, you got a recipe for success. Okay. So you get, everyone gets a day with the cup. Uh, I'm guessing the cup makes its way back to New Jersey somehow. It has to make its way back to New Jersey yeah. at some point. You're somewhat of a, uh, a temporary space in Chicago. Did your your fa- family was obviously Chicago, but you had so much family and friends back in New Jersey. People who helped you kind of build who you were was back in New Jersey. Where did, what did you do with the cup that day? Yeah, we did an awful lot. I mean, obviously, you know, we had family and friends at a big party, and you know, it took it to where I grew up, and then. You know, took it to uh, some local establishments that I, you know, uh, the family and friends and had some parties. And then we did a day, uh, took my kids and my my family, my mom and dad and brothers. We went to the children's hospital, uh, you know, because you get it for a day and a half. And we did that and spent some time with, you know, the fire, local fire fighters and, and cops and, you know, and tried to, you know, be around as many people as I could, but fam- a lot of family and friends and to, to, to have them be along the journey from the East coast league and the American league. And people made a lot of trips and came to a lot of games. And, and this was something for me that I wanted to give back to everybody, um, you know, and to see the joy on people's faces that are, you know, that weren't in the business, uh, you know, but loved hockey that maybe played growing up and, and, um, uh, you know, whether it was grown men, you know, crying and just to lift it over their head or touch it and, and you know, to sit around and talk about it, look at all the names that were on. It was certainly a, an unbelievable experience. And I was so happy I got to share it with all my family and friends. It's kind of like a class reunion on steroids, isn't it? It is. It's amazing. It's, you know, I had a lot of college friends there, you know, probably 20 of my teammates came down and you know, it's, it's amazing what that, that trophy, what it does to people. And, and if you really, I mean, the hockey people know, and they understand it, it's, it's, it's outstanding, but I couldn't believe what it, you know, even in Chicago, when we had it in Chicago and after days after the after we won to walk into a restaurant to see, you know, people trying to just touch it and be around it and, and, it was amazing. It was one of the, that was four days after or five days or a week or two weeks after was some of the most amazing times in my life. You also had the parade, right? Right in the Grand yeah. Park, right? I mean, I just got done watching the last uh, dance with Michael Jordan. You yeah. see those crowds. I'm sure the crowds were identical. You know, it, it was very similar because we went up, um, uh, we didn't do it. The, the next two they won, I wasn't there for. They did it at Soldier Field and they did it at some park, I think one of the parks downtown. We went down the streets and similar to the Bulls, I heard I did watch the last dance myself. And yeah. they were talking about how it was a sea of people. I can tell you this, Tony, like on those buses, the buses would stop every once in a while and the side streets. And to see the sea, it was a sea of people, thousands and thousands of people back, you know, 10, 15 blocks trying to get to where the, the, the bus parade was. And, uh, you know, I could, I remember sitting there with my parents and my brothers and family and, and on that, you know, on the bus that I was on and saying, the only thing I could think of is this is what, you know, uh, rock stars see when they're in these yes. big stadiums. And I was like, it was just an amazing, amazing 
that, that, that will, you know, those, those images and those pictures I have will last a lifetime. And listen, I mean, it was an amazing time in Chicago and, and it's, it's funny. I still go back and, you know, recruit through the O'Hare and some people go by me and they're like, Hey coach, coach, you know, it's really? funny. It's, yeah, it's funny, you know, because we did, I think it was such a big year in 10 because we had not won in so many years yeah. and it was just the whole city was behind you know, that, that team and that organization, it was something special. Well, let's, let's fast forward to getting the job at Colorado college. I, I talked to this before, before the show, you know, your resume is like ECHL, AHL, ECHL, NHL, you know, there's not a lot of NCAA here. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're the coach at Colorado college, which is now in the toughest league. We'll get to the toughest league in just a second, but how did you get the job? What went into the whole hiring process of going to Colorado Springs? Um, you know, I actually, you know, we were, they, you know, we got in contact and, you know, it moved pretty quick. I was in Hershey in the American league as a head coach. And, uh, and, you know, I, I got an offer to come out and get an interview. And I talked to George McPhee in Washington. He was a GM at the time there. And, and George said, you know, he played at Bowling Green and George said, Javi, listen, I think, I think you should go listen. And if it's good for you and your family, and I have a ton of respect for George and, and, um, you know, he's like, you know, Javi, they, you know, the years and maybe contract, and, you know, you got to look at your family too, Javi and I, and, and, you know, and I think, I think as you do the years, you start to go, okay, is it, you know, what, at least let's see what this is about. And, you know, and, uh, and that was kind of what, you know, it all started and it went so quick and, you know, it was a tough decision for me and my wife and, you know, and the family, you know, to, 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 you know, you, cause you, you know, you're still a head coach in the American league and, you know, do you want to do, do this? And we just felt it was the right time at that, at that point in our lives um, to take the job. And, you know, I certainly thought it was, you know, it's uh, they, they made it, you know, uh, very convincing, you know, uh, and it was a, uh, it was a great opportunity for me and my family to come in here and put my, you know, stamp on it. And, 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 um, you know, like I said, I've coached a lot of Colorado college players in my career and yeah. coached against the guys. And, you know, I knew you and I talked about Mark, Mark Cullen, Cullen. And, and Cully played for me in the American league. I absolutely love him. One of the best guys I ever coached. And, you know, I, I looked at all the guys that I coached against the Toby Petersons and the, you know, and, and the Minnesota guys. And I know there's a ton more, and you know, and I just was like, Hey, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go in there and give it a shot. And, you know, and, uh, you know, put my name on that thing and see where we can go from here. Again, I'm not ta- I'm not calling this a retirement job, but it is no. pretty much a five year guarantee in coaching. And there isn't yeah. any real guarantees in professional hockey coaching. Does that p- play a part of the decision? Well, it does. I mean, I think, you know, you look at, you know, you learn and you live and you learn and you, you see, you know, I mean, uh, the professional end of it is very hard and it's, uh, you know, I mean, guys, you get hired to get fired. I mean, it's the old saying in every professional sport, I think, um, you know, and I think you're, you're always trying to do what's right for your family. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not anywhere near retirement and no. <laughs> I don't think I ever will be Tony, to be honest with you. I didn't, you know, so I think for me, I looked at it as, you know, just another challenge and another, uh, way that, you know, I got to provide for my family. And, and, uh, you know, I really thought it was the right fit for me at that, you know, six, seven years going into my seventh year now. 
Yeah, it's it's an amazing kind of run that you've had. Things have definitely the first three years were rough, but the last three mm-hmm. years you can see a trend. Colorado College is no longer on the on the back half of the the NCHC, which is fun to say because it's uh, because your first few years were pretty rough road. Yeah, they were rough. I I mean I don't think I ever went through that, but I think I never did in my career until I got here, and I think it's. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing in NCAA is recruiting and you got to recruit. And, and, you know, I know they changed some of the rules now to older got a little bit older. But, you know, a lot of the guys we were getting are just getting here now. You know, they were four or five years away. And, uh, you know, the, I love the guys that I had early on here. And, you know, and we did the best we could do. And, and uh, you know, the, but the NCAA is a very, very talented conference. Um, you know, obviously you got four national champions in a row and, and you know, that's, that's not by any, it's not a fluke. I mean, there's some really good coaches and some really good uh, players in this conference. And, and I think it's, you got to recruit and, you know, I think we've done a, a better job with that and we got to continue to do a good job with it. Uh, I, we'll get to the recruiting Minnesota here in just a second, but you said arguably the best league in, in, I think it is the best league and I'll say it, you can be so kind but i think it's the best league and it's not even close with the you know with with the amount of talent that's recruited in there the, the coaching staffs like you mentioned with like scott sandlin and brad berry and and, and larson i mean the list goes on and on the great coaches in that league and yourself included um walk through like your first nchc coaches meeting and you walk into that room and it's, it's a pretty <laughs> impressive list of coaches yeah you know it's it's funny that you know you walked in and and uh you know, again, your hockey life and your travels, you know, uh, Dave Haxtall was in, was in North Dakota at the time yep. he was in the meeting and, and hack and I, I met hack at, uh, at the festivals back in St. Cloud when he was in the USHL at the time. And, and then, and, you know, ended up spending a little time with him there. So I kind of knew hack and I knew Brad was in Manitoba, uh, in the American league when I was in the American league, he was in Columbus. So I knew Brad, you know, uh, I knew Rico Blasi through the USA hockey, even though he's a Toronto guy, I think he got involved with it. And, uh, so I got to meet Rico. So he was at Miami, you know, uh, so again, I mean, you know, you, you start to, I didn't know Sandy at all, but today, you know, become really close with Sandy. He's a good friend of mine. And, uh, but you know, uh, Andy Murray, I, I, kind of knew already a little bit, you know, but some, and Jimmy Montgomery's in the room. I mean, like, you know, I knew Jimmy just, you know, as a player, uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, Dean blaze is in the room. had no, I, I, you know, he was in Columbus a little bit there and, uh, but it was amazing. Hockey guys are hockey guys. It doesn't matter what level. And, and within that first week, cause you know, we go to Florida you know, uh, I ended up golfing with guys and, you know, we have a golf outing and, you know, I hit it off with, with Sandy and blazer and, you know, and it was just hockey guys are hockey guys. We're all competitive. We all want to win. We want our programs and teams to do outstanding things and win championships. And that's what drives us. But deep down, you know, uh, we all love the game. And then it was, it was just great to be in that room and start to build more friendships and more connections in the game. Well, it didn't take long in the recruiting process for you and your staff to really uh, consider Minnesota almost like a home state recruiting. Wouldn't you say that's true? Well, you know, you look back and you think about the success the CC, CC had in, 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 you know, the late 90s and early 2000s. And you look at the Minnesota kids and you look at, you know, the guys even in the 80s and, and uh, 
you know, they did a great job with recruiting Minnesota kids and, and, uh, you know, listen, it's tough to get a kid from the East Coast to come out here. And, and there's just so many decisions out East, you know, with all the other conferences. And it's a long way to go. So we, we felt there's so many good players in Minnesota, you know, and, and the connection that CC has with it. And it's a good academic school. And, you know, we felt, hey, we really got to, you know, dig in there and try to win some of those recruiting wars against the schools there. And it's not an easy thing to do. And uh, but certainly I think we've done a good job here uh, and it's taken some time, but I think we've done a real good job of trying to get some good, real good players out of Minnesota and we're going to continue to do it. Yeah. We can't talk just so our, our listeners, we can't talk about players uh, by name that are not signed a national letter of intent. So if I don't, if I skip over a name, don't text yeah. me today and say, Oh, why did you talk about my kid or this player? And that's because we can't, if they aren't signed an NLI. So let's talk about some guys that are currently there. Uh, Casey Stom and Connor Mayer and uh, Benny Copeland. Th- these are guys that, that provided a lot of minutes for you uh, this year in and in a pretty nice school and pretty, pretty good year for you guys yeah you know listen i again i think it was you know it was nice to get copes a couple years ago and you know his freshman year had a real good freshman year and and you know copes is one of our top players and you know and then uh, up front uh you know and i think you know uh again you know how to win some recruiting battles to get copes here and and uh it's, it's been outstanding you know he's a he's a wonderful young man and got a great future ahead of him and Hopefully, you know, he's going to help us lead us to where we want to go here, which I think he can. And, you know, Casey Stom and Connor Mayer and, you know, uh, came in. Connor really played a lot of minutes and did an outstanding job for us last year on the back end and had a lot of injuries back there. And Connor played a lot, a lot of minutes. And I think that's really going to help Connor moving into his into his sophomore year and, and uh, taking on, you know, uh, the role that he did last year and, and learning, you know, how uh to compete at this level and and i think when you play those minutes it's valuable minutes and you know and some nights i'm sure he wanted some things back like everybody does it's right. a learning experience and, and it's a pro it's, it's progression and, and it's a progress and, and, and he has to he, it's a process i mean and he has to he'll 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 even be better this year i thought he had an outstanding year last year but he'll be even better this year so again and, and we added a bunch of minnesota kids coming in in this class so you know certainly excited you know, and again, like you said, we have a lot of guys we can't talk about, which I wish we could, but yeah. we can't. And, and then, you know, I think we we just done a good job in Minnesota with really, you know, we've really targeted it. And, you know, and again, it's not easy to get them out of there. And um, But certainly we're, we're going to continue to go there and, and try to get the best players. Well, if this says anything about Leon, it seems like I can't go to a high school hockey game or go to a festival or go to the elite league without seeing Leon there. He's a hardworking guy. I mean, you talk about him on the ice or as a coach, but he's definitely made a name for himself here in the Twin Cities. I agree with you, Tony. And I think, I think he's, you know, he's a guy who's very personable. He's very, you know, uh, you know, he, he's, he's an intelligent young, he's an intelligent man who's, uh, understands the game, but he understands people. And I think, you know, he builds those relationships. He's relentless. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll, I'll come in on a Monday and he'll be like, have, I need to go tomorrow. And I'll be like, finally, I, I trust him. I believe that, you know, that, uh, in both of them, RJ and him and, and, uh, but Leon loves Minnesota. He, he thinks, you know, there's tons and tons of kids and let's make sure we get in on them. And, you know, he's not afraid to talk to the high, high, the, the, the best players, you know, and, and get right in the mix with 
all the other schools in Minnesota, which, you know, you have to do and you have to be able to walk in there and believe in your program and believe in yourself. And he certainly does. You have uh, three St. Thomas kids, two coming in next year, the Christie brothers. Robert's going to play another year of juniors. Ray's coming in. He's a 99. Who's the other? There's another defenseman. Uh, Chase Foley. Chase Foley. I, I know his dad, Sean, pretty well. Yeah. Um, uh, walk through what you see at Saints, with St. Saint Thomas kids or, just, or, or, or those three just in general. Well, I just think they play the game the right way. They all play hard. They play a smart game. Um, you know, I think academics, you know, they, they fit our bill too there. And, and uh, you know, I just think it's, it's – I love their coaching staff. They've done a good job there. And, and you know, I think it's uh, – you know, um, you know, some certainly I think, you know, Chase, Chase, if I talked about individually with Chase, Chase is a guy who's – I think he's gotten better and better every year. Uh, you know, you talked to Scott Owens when he was in, you know, uh, Sioux Falls with him last year. Right. It was like, he became, you know, better and better Javi as the year went on, he's going to be. And I think that's Chase. I mean, he can skate, he's smart. He's, he defends well. I think he, you know, he was a forward who ended up put, getting put back on defense and now he's really coming into his own. And, uh, I think Chase is just a, a kid who's, you know, cause he can skate and he's smart. I think he's just going to get better and better. And he's kind of like a sponge. He was a learn, le- wants to learn everything and take everything in. And then you get Ray. I think Ray is so smart when you talk to Ray and we were recruiting Ray, like he's just kind of relentless on the ice, but he's a smart hockey player and, and he's got more skill than maybe people give him credit for it. We always felt like it. And, and, uh, you know, and I think, you know, I think Ray is going to be a guy who just understands the game. It's amazing. You talk to him even when he was playing juniors and when he committed to us and, you know, he was talking like a coach already. And it's like, you know, that's what the St. Thomas's, you know, coaching staff said. Ray was such a student of the game. And, and Rob is just a, a very big, strong, you know, talented young man. And, you know, and he's going to, he just keeps getting better. And I, I just think they're all three of them are fit, great fits. And, you know, I mean, and uh, two of them are coming in next year and then, you know, hopefully Rob the following year. So it's a it's an interesting method. I'm, I'm guessing I haven't studied your roster, but I'm guessing you're getting a lot of kids from Western Canada as well. It just seems to be the next layer over. Uh, where, where do you, what do you see out of the Western Canadian leagues, the, the AJ and the BCHL? Well, I just look at those leagues and, and, you know, I think you get some kids that are, you know, that, uh, you know, the, it's a, it's a tougher, it's a tough league. It's a right. tough league. It's, 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 uh, you know, but I think, um, you know, I think again, proximity, you know, CC's always had, you know, a lot of Western Canadian kids, you know, a lot of Minnesota kids, a lot of Western Canadian kids, because, you know, it's easier for them to come. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you're not going across country, you know, out to mass, you know, to college where these kids can get home or they, their parents could see some games. And, you know, I think you got to be smart and where you recruit and, and certainly Western Canadian, uh, you know, the, that's part of our, you know, area too, that we go into and, and California has come a long way. And I think there's so many players all over the place and, you know, I mean, uh, but but certainly Minnesota and Western Canada is stuff that we have to really focus on. So uh, I, I promised I would talk to you about this topic. It's, it's just it's a, such an odd topic. It's the COVID-19. Uh, as a Division One head coach, where do you stand? What, what what can you tell us about hockey next year? That's what a lot of people want to hear. <laughs> and it, it, again, a lot of this stuff is somewhat public, but somewhat not public. What are you What are you allowed to tell the press? What are you allowed to tell your I, players about next season? 
I wish I had an answer. I really do. I'm, I'm not pressing like that. I'm like, what else? is the official no, word, right? I, I am. I'm like everybody else. I think, you know, you, you know, I think we're all up. We don't know. We really don't. There's nothing been made in any decisions. I think the big thing is they're trying to get, you know, students back on campus. And I think that will play a big part of it. And, uh, you know, and, and are schools going to be different all over the U.S.? It could be. And yeah. I think we have to be flexible in understanding that, you know, and, uh, you know, but we're just as anxious as anybody else, to be honest with you, because we really don't know. I mean, because nothing has been, you know, no decisions have been made. And it's, you know, so you're preparing like I'm trying to prepare like it's it's a regular off season and you know and uh you know guys are trying to train as best they can because nothing's really open things are starting to get open but yeah we, we're preparing like we're gonna play and i think that's all i gotta do until i get told from my ad or you know uh the commissioners that hey this is what we're doing differently so we're just preparing and 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 i'm pretty optimistic uh you know guy that i believe that hopefully this thing is you know, for the world, it's always bigger than the game too. And I yeah. think it's, you know, I want everybody to be safe and make sure we're putting, you know, everybody in the right position to be safe. And and I think that's the big thing right now. And I think, you know, these are, these are decisions way higher than a, a, a college hockey coach, to be honest with you. I had the strength and conditioning coordinator coach, whatever, from the university of Minnesota on last week, Cal Dietz. And, and, and yeah. Cal was told me this, this tidbit about how he can't put a player through a zoom call or a workout. He can't be on a zoom call and say, okay, now do push-ups. Now do, he can't do that. And I'm sure that's obviously true, but uh, walk through your inability to actually put action items out for your players. It's just tough. I mean, again, they can't, you know, the NCAA puts rules down and what you can do and can't do. And, and to be honest with you, I think, you know, usually it's right after the NCAA game, uh, the championship game in April, you know, you, you, you can't be on the ice or you can't even watch workouts as a head coach or your staff, right. you know, so, so usually your trainer gets the hours and, and that's what he can do. And, and that's even changed now. So, um, you, you, you stick with what they, they tell you, the NCAA, and you try to give them as much knowledge as you can in, in the, in the time that you allowed to give it to them. And, and then, and then from there, you, you know, um, you, you know, you, you know, you, you, you got guys that have been around now, the guys are going to their junior and senior year, they're older, they understand how much, how hard they need to train. And I think, I think today's day and age player, even the guys coming from juniors, you know, they understand the junior programs are run so well. And the high school programs are run so well that these guys train 12 months a year now, anyway yeah. and i think i think you know you you know listen i mean this is unfortunate for everybody in, in every level but you know you, you you know guys are i know guys are training and i know guys are giving their everything they can do in the situation they're in and that's what you you know you stay within the rules and you just you hopefully the guys are doing it and i believe they are well, from uh, sunshine biscuits to <laughs> I love saying that by the way to Colorado Springs, you've had a whale of a career, and it's been a blast kind of getting to know you. Anything else you want to share with us about uh, the COVID, about coaching that I might have missed on in your career? No, I, I just think you know I appreciate you bringing me on. I really do, and it, it and I think you know I, again I I think I love going to Minnesota. I think it's amazing to see it you know, uh, 
the hockey and how my passion is up there and, and we're going to continue to recruit there. And I think there's some amazing players, amazing people I've met, you know, in that state. And, uh, it's, you know, they call it the state of hockey for a reason. And, and, and I believe it. And I, I really do. And I think it's, uh, it's certainly, you know, for us, it's a big part of our lifeline in Colorado college and it will always be as long as I'm here. Well, it's been fantastic. I just wish we could name some of these players because they are blowing up right now. And I think it's a, a credit to you and your staff for how you've done recruiting here. And, and good luck to your team, hopefully this year and, and into the future at Colorado College. Thank you. As part of today's show, uh, Mike will get a gift from the Minnesotan sent to him. Thanks to the Minnesotan again for a sponsorship for today's show. Make sure to stop in and check it out. My good friend John King says it's the best store in the world. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to see you around the rink soon.